There is an encounter I will always remember from my first year in seminary. It was a classic Chicago winter, so cold it hurts to breathe. The lake in the near distance was a churning mess of thick slabs of ice, and the city looked perpetually blue-gray in bitterness. I speak highly of my hometown, as you can see. <laughs> I was meandering down Michigan Avenue toward the first day of our January intensive classes, and I reached our brand new home, which had recently moved off the University of Chicago campus from the south side of Chicago to the heart of downtown. We were the new tenants of the spurtest center of Jewish culture. And just as I arrived outside of the building was a small woman standing on the sidewalk, smiling brightly, adorned with a winter hat, scarf, and gloves, a giant puffy coat. There she was, handing out pamphlets to everyone entering and leaving the Jewish center. Turn to Jesus, she would say. Repent, she would bellow. Are you saved? She would ask. I knew that in order to get to my classes, I would have to go past this woman. I felt myself seize up inside. Big city sidewalk preachers are not an uncommon thing, and they are often easily avoided. But when it's in your direct path, I imagine a good deal of us hold our breath and scurry by. I approached. Her hand stretched out toward me, and I envisioned briefly Michelangelo's The Creation of Adam. <laughs> I feared that if I, too, reached out and touched the pamphlet, I'd be somehow confronted with an existential ultimatum. I wondered how she felt standing outside of a Jewish cultural center to convert passerbys, the Jews, and heretics like me. To her credit, she was embodying the Great Commission, one of the teachings of Jesus of Nazareth, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. There she was, in the freezing cold, caring so deeply about something. Was her choice of location regrettable? Absolutely. I ultimately declined her literature. I barked out while she still held the pamphlet with a level of unintended frankness. No thank you, I'm a Unitarian Universalist. Her eyes widened with a familiar peculiarity, and I saw what was coming next. She withdrew her hand in her pamphlets and asked sheeply, A you-know-what? <laughs> As if her question were immediately forgotten, she turned to another passerby and continued her message of repent, be saved, handing pamphlets out to anyone who would take them. I went through the doors of the building and was confronted with a single clear thought. I have no idea what I'm doing. And I would soon learn from my colleagues who also experienced the sidewalk preacher that I was not the only one with such a thought. I suspect we all have stories similar to that. The you-know-what stories and the fear that we have no idea how to talk about Unitarian Universalism. There are also the stories many of you have expressed to me that are similar, but still unique. You know what I mean. The countless stories of sitting in a barber's chair and as they put the scissors to your head, being asked the inevitable questions that fly out of anyone's mouth here in Kentucky. Where are you from and what church do you go to? <laughs> I'll also be the first to admit that I don't always answer those questions directly. 
Where, have you, where are you from is easy. I have no problem acknowledging that I am a Yankee, that I am a fourth-generation Chicagoan and one of the first of my family to ever leave the city. That somehow seems easier. But sometimes, depending on the person, barber or not, such an admission will just shut down the conversation. <laughs> Human beings are nothing if not tribal, and much of what we see today in the disruption and unrest of our world is a tribalism at its extreme. It's that second question, however, that causes pause and hesitation. I have no shame being a minister. I have no shame serving this church, flaws and triumphs aplenty. I have no reservation about being a Unitarian Universalist. But there is something about that moment of being asked where I know deep down that it is, not, that it is at once not an easy question and there are no simple answers. In many ways, it boils down to fear. Fear that I won't have the answers this person needs to hear. Fear that the conversation will immediately go to the follow-up questions of God, Jesus, salvation, heaven, hell, whatever. Fear that a wedge will be placed between me and the other person. And that last one is interesting. The very fear that a wedge will be placed between ourselves and another person creates a wedge. Fear of division creates division. By the time all these thoughts have flashed through my mind, in an instant, the moment of truth comes. Do I tell them what I do for a living and risk an impromptu confessional? Do I tell them what my religion is, or do I pretend otherwise? Many of you all have your similar stories. Sometimes our fears are unfounded. Sometimes it leads to unpleasantness, confusion, or more questions. But in risking our identification with this tradition, Unitarian Universalism, this 11-syllable peculiar path, I wonder what doors are opening for those around us, or even ourselves. What wisdom is shining through? It's a question worth asking, as this is a tradition that places emphasis on intuition, personal revelation, creedless exploration of belief or disbelief, and a free and responsible search for truth and meaning. But it always wasn't quite like that, believe it or not. Our two traditions, Unitarianism and Universalism, were at one time seen as stale, stuffy, too academic, and too beholden to tradition. I wonder if we could say the same today. The answer is sometimes yes, by the way. But it wasn't until the radical transcendentalists of the 1800s that started to speak out and to openly risk their careers and many instances their lives that Unitarianism in America began to take shape as a radical free religion that we have inherited. One, story, one snippet of a story to highlight the depth of risk taken in the mid-1800s is that of the Reverend Theodore Parker. He's the minister, the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. quoted when he said, the moral arc of the universe was long, but it bends toward justice. And Theodore was instrumental in the founding of churches in the wild, untamed West, which was Illinois and parts of Kentucky at the time. So hated was Reverend Parker for questioning the foundations of Christianity. So hated was he for being an abolitionist and harboring escaped slaves. The Unitarian at the establishment at the time and other enemies such as anti-abolitionists would threaten his life regularly. His colleagues would threaten his life regularly. 
Friends would remark upon entering Reverend Parker's office that you'd find his sermon manuscript right in the middle of his desk with a loaded pistol right next to it. The threats on his life were that severe and frequent. The catalyst for this was Ralph Waldo Emerson, among other transcendentalists. Two years after Emerson enraged the Unitarian establishment with his Divinity School address at Harvard University, he published his other well-known work, Nature. Inspired by the Dharmic religions, Buddhism, Hinduism, Sikhism, Jainism, the transcendentalists that met in his home, the Alcott's, and his own intuition, Emerson set out to call everyone to rethink how we approach religion. Right there in the introduction, Emerson reflects and asks us these following words. Our age is retrospective, he writes. It builds the sepulchers of the fathers. It writes biographies, histories, and criticism. The foregoing generations beheld God and nature face to face, we through their eyes. Why should we not also enjoy an original relation to the universe? Why should we not have a poetry and philosophy of insight and not of tradition? And a religion by revelation to us and not the history of theirs. I especially love the line, why should we not also enjoy an original relation with the universe? Why shouldn't we loosen the chains of both the past and the future and dwell purely in the here and the now? each moment unfolding in the one life we are assured of. Such poetry from Emerson is lovely to read. Such poetry from any encounter with wisdom stays with us if we let it. But what then? What to do with wisdom that we make our own and vow to live by? Emerson asks why we shouldn't have a religion by revelation to us, to you, to me, to this gathered community, a religion for now and this moment. But I would also add to his words, why shouldn't we have a religion by revelation from us too? Unitarian Universalists are often seen as a very quiet and polite people when it comes to speaking about why we chose to be UU. Certainly not within these walls, but outside of them. When confronted with the questions of, you're a you know what? Or no really, tell me what do you people believe about X, Y, and Z? If our seven principles are mere fiction, we can just keep them to ourselves and wear our rose-colored glasses. But this relation to the universe, this free religion we choose week after week, is not a path whose values are worth telling. Is it not a path whose values are worth telling with the same bravery and courage as the evangelists in our story on the streets of Chicago? If our values indeed call us to action and justice, why abdicate our moral authority in the name of politeness and fear? Our siblings of fundamentalist faiths do not hesitate. Perhaps the 11 syllables of our name is a barrier at times. I'll freely admit it can be hard. The name of our tradition often requires a history lesson before we even get to the core of who we are or who we hope to be in our day-to-day -day lives. Add to that the spiral that is the great Protestant decline of our age. Though let's be honest and clear. An industrialized nation's re traditional religion itself is declining, Protestant or otherwise. Religion in 2019 is falling out of fashion, and yet I know I will go to my grave insisting that human beings are fundamentally religious in nature. We aspire to be in community, to revere life and the world around us. 
the objects of our devotion may have just simply changed, and society is playing catch-up. And so sudden the tide has shifted. Human beings need longer time to adjust. The Protestant decline uses that awful word, decline, which often implies something terrible. But if we make peace with the mortality of all things, including Unitarian Universalism, it's just another chapter, neither good nor bad. It just is. What this tells us for here and now, for today, is that religious community is prime for renewal, for reinvention, for letting go of the sepulchers of the fathers Emerson spoke of 183 years ago. And I dare say it, perhaps it means letting go of Emerson too. I believe wholeheartedly, wherever this shift in religion is taking us, wherever the changes in Unitarian Universalism, Universalism come to fruition, that we still have a message worth imparting today. Time for polite avoidance of who we are is over. Now, there are plenty of terrible jokes about Unitarian Universalism. Many of you probably know some I don't, and we'll try to spare each other from these jokes. But one that I often remember with some pained fondness goes like this. What do you get when you cross a Jehovah's Witness and a Unitarian Universalist? Someone who goes door to door for no particular reason. <laughs> Our avoidance of any type of witness of who we are and what we stand for is right there enshrined in a bad joke. Though I do imagine it would be bizarre if we did go door to door handing out cards with our seven principles on them. But it is worth asking, do our values have a moral narrative worth showing the world? A poetry that would inspire, a depth that is possible, a depth that calls the individual to work and live with love and compassion and integrity. Does it have, do they have a promise of hope and a promise of assurance? Do we not believe that the moral arc of the universe will bend toward justice? We might have to take hold of that arc with all of our lives and yank it, but it will bend. The foundation of Unitarian Universalism is not just some vain idealism, but a moral compass, a reminder that as citizens of the world, it is up to us to effect some change some freshness with each new day. And yet this does not come along on its own. It does take courage and risk to speak boldly and yet compassionately to a suffering world. And from our words, we find hands to help, injustice to disrupt, and always a place such as this to recharge, renew, and then re-enter the fray. To be someone who thinks differently about religion is to risk. To be a Unitarian Universalist is to risk. We have our martyrs, some of them from history too close for comfort. And yet we see the images of families torn apart by our government, children caged, the effects of racism on our culture, the empowerment of white nationalism, the growing disparity between rich and poor. Name the injustice, it is there. Does this world not need to hear about worth and dignity, justice and liberty? compassion and the free mind, democracy and equity? Do we not have a message to keep telling again and again and again and again? And what is holding you back if you've not shared it with someone in the past week? I ask myself these questions along with all of you. And I'll throw this in there for those of you that are already saving the world single-handedly or trying to. How can you widen the circle and bring those who are hesitant along with you? 
with all the talk of personal revelation and intuition and Unitarian Universalism, we still value community. And we covenant to encourage one another to build up an ever more beloved community and give strength to one another when needed. That is the risk we are asked to take each time we walk through those doors. The risk of being vulnerable and giving of ourselves in community and encouraging others. And the risk we take beyond these walls is just as important to be an example of our values, our living tradition, and all that we do. What risks will you take for our values today, tomorrow, and in all the days to come? How will you live your original relation to the universe openly and with courage? Blessed be. Amen.